0: It doesn't matter if you love craps, blackjack, machines, or dining on the finest Asian, American, and Salish cuisines. It doesn't matter what you do or where you're coming from.
1: Muckleshoot.
0: What you do is all at Muckleshoot. An easy drive from wherever you are. All roads lead to Muckleshoot.
2: Horse Racing Northwest, November edition, Thanksgiving edition. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners. We've got a lot of loyal fans out there. And Joe Withy, Vince Brune on Horse Racing Northwest, on and about Emerald Downs, Washington Racing, and uh, extended out from there as well. Vince, uh, good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon, Joe. Happy holidays to all out there as we go into uh, Thanksgiving Day weekend.
2: Yeah, yeah. We'll have another podcast in December, but uh, we're already talking a little 2024. And uh, first of all, just before we we'll give it to you, Vince, for some 2024 news, uh, Doug Moore and John Parker are going to be our guests today on Horse Racing Northwest. Doug Moore, ex-jockey. Um but has really done some just outstanding work for the Washington Horse Racing Commission, many years as executive secretary. And now he's one of the three commissioners. And Doug is going to uh, help us out with uh, some of these organizations as the landscape's changed a little bit in racing over the past couple of years with HISA uh, he- and in ex- in existence now. And there's also a lot of other organizations like the... Uh, a- ARCI, the Association of Racing Commissioners International, the RMTC, Racing Medication and Testing Consortium. Um, there's the Jockey Club, uh, you know, the NTRA, the Breeders' Cup are out there for maybe more of a marketing thing. But Doug's going to go through a lot of those and, and talk about some of the changes and some of the power that diff- those different organizations have. have. Uh, John Parker, well-known here at Emerald Downs. He's won five of the last eight leading owner titles for a season and Vince I think he moved into second place all time as well this year
3: he did only Ron Crockett has won more races at
2: uh, Emerald Downs than uh, the yellow and black silks of John Parker yeah John's going to join us and most uh, specifically to talk about uh, one of his former trainers Bill Tillette, who passed away at the age of 90 earlier this week Bill Tillett uh just a bastion of the backstretch since the late 60s. um, Bill was a native of, I can't remember if he's from Oklahoma or Texas, one of the two, but he relocated up here a long time ago, him and his wife, Donna, and their extended family who've also worked around the track. So we'll be talking about Bill Tillette as well. And uh, Vince, I teased it a little bit. Uh, We've got some news for 2024 at Emerald Downs. We do. At the last uh, commission meeting uh, last week, uh, Washington Horse Racing Commission
3: a meeting, the Emerald Downs applied and was approved for its 2024 dates. We put the, up on the website and released it. Uh, we begin on Kentucky Derby Day, Saturday, uh, May 4th, 2024. will be opening day. We'll run 55 days. Joe, that's an up Uh, increase of three days, which is nice.
2: That's a good thing.
3: Yeah, and we'll run through Sunday, September 15th. As I said, 55 uh, total days. And uh, Friday racing, we'll go only the Saturday opening week, and then we'll go Saturday and Sunday. And then in the fourth week, we add Fridays on, beginning Friday, May 31st. And we'll run those all the way through the end of the meet, uh, including September and then the other significant news out of it, a slight change in post times. Fridays remain 7 o'clock, but uh, Saturdays and Sundays we move up a half an hour to 1.30 p.m. And personally, I kind of like that.
2: Well, and actually Saturdays, we raced many Saturday uh, evenings last year as well. Right, so. 5 o'clock, yeah, uh,
3: in fact during most of the season we began at five o'clock but we'll have a steady 1 30. that's the key time for weekends One thirty, uh key time on weekends for saturday and sunday and then july 3rd uh wednesday for the annual fireworks show will begin at uh, five o'clock
2: okay so yeah check that out and that's going to make a lot of people happy uh those saturdays when we started later the the big meets would be over um, the morning meets, certainly, you know, like Saratoga and so forth. And then Del Mar would be winding down just when we got started. But uh, we'll be um, picking up a lot of uh, regular fans for those, I think. So one thirty is the weekend time at Emerald Downs for 2024. And the Fridays, as you mentioned, uh, that's basically where we're getting the extra days. We're going to go those last few weeks and race Friday night where we had cut those out the last couple of days. That is
3: correct. And and last year we raced on uh, Memorial Day. I believe we will not race on Memorial Day uh, this year. But again, up three days, which I like to hear
2: Yeah. a few more days. Let's let's hope we can uh, continue that trend in the future. That's right. Horsemen will love that. Okay. And uh, Emerald Downs Horseman... um, Justin Evans, our leading trainer, he took a stable to uh, Linton or Vinton, Louisiana, I think it is, where Delta Downs is. And, and he, excuse me, I'll get my uh, my teeth, my mouth, my tongue and my voice box all working together here. Uh, he uh, was just about 20 percent as he entered this week, and he's got actually a lot of action today, Wednesday and on friday as well without turf paradise racing this fall things have changed a little bit and not a lot of great news out of there i guess not negative news either vince at this point
3: the only positive news uh i have read was uh on social media their track announcer did uh did post that they had installed a new timing system at the track Mm. of course they were hand timing most of the meet uh last year so i guess that yeah. If you got to have something to time, right? So, but we'll see, but no, nothing official coming out of there. And let's, let's, uh, you know, let's say even if they announced tomorrow that they were going to, you know, be up and running, it's still going to take, you know, a couple, better part of two months, so it would be for everyone to get up and going. So it's going to be, I, I got to think kind of a long shot to be open by January at this point down there.
2: Okay. But uh, if they do open at all after the first the year, that would be fantastic to keep that track going. In a major market, and of course, so many Emerald Downs in Washington participants uh, spend the winter down there as well. So, uh, a lot of our guys at Golden Gate this fall and into the winter, Vince. A few of them, yeah. Uh, A few I wrote down. Blaine Wright, he always does well down
3: there. I saw he's got uh, eight wins out of 33 starters. That's almost 25%. Uh, Jack Steiner, of course, the Steiner family, Jack hasn't raced up here much, uh, but of course we all know the family up here and Jack's having another great meet. He's eight for 22 and a man's man who ran in the mile, had a nice win down there and then came back and ran third again the other day. Um, and Frank Lucarelli down there for the first time in many years, I think he's got like one for 14 or something so far. So a little slow for Frank, but he'll pick it up. He always wins wherever he goes.
2: Yes, indeed. Okay. And uh, I saw uh, Blazing Bella Blues training down there as well for Charles Essex. Uh, Boy, she's up for more uh, Washington honors. She was uh, champion three-year-old filly of 2021, horse of the year, Washington horse of the year in 2021, and top older filly or mare last year. And she won two stakes again this year. So she is going to be considered for some honors. I saw she was training down there. Um, Let's see, anybody else on this list here? Uh, I think you went over. Young Life Laura didn't win any stakes races or anything, but she had a good meet at Emerald Downs with four wins. She's in training down here. Yeah,
3: and we had mentioned that Five Star General, I think on the last one, was entered. He ran a good third down the $100,000 right. stakes. And uh Our mile winner. Yeah, that's Star Guitar. I forget the name of the horse. It's 16 for 25 lifetime. Five Star General and that one, they hooked up the whole way. And Five Star General gave way grudgingly and finished a pretty good third. That was a $100,000 race. So he's holding his form well.
2: He is. Okay. So, uh yeah. So Tampa is opening this week. Jason Beam, track announcer back in action at Tampa. They've got some pretty good racing there. Uh, Horseshoe Indianapolis just closed at the end of last week. They had a good long meet for Our simulcasters who like to come in during the weekdays, Uh, Golden Gate goes to December 11th, and then they take a couple weeks off before resuming on the 26th, the day after Christmas, when Santa Anita's winter meet opens as well on that uh, big day in horse racing, the day after Christmas every year. Fairgrounds, of course, started last week as well. Oaklawn on December 8th, and Matt Dinnerman will be there to be the new track announcer at Oaklawn, Vince.
3: Yeah, and they they've got a
2: big lengthy work
3: tab uh every day down there heading into their meet, uh, which is we always enjoy following Oaklawn and their steak schedule and their overnight races are very good too.
2: Yeah, Oaklawn has a has one fantastic meet. Matt's gonna uh uh be full of stimulus there, and he can accept it. Boy, he is uh you know, they got a good guy there and Matt Dinnerman. Uh, hey, Thanksgiving is on Thursday, of course, and Emerald Downs will be open for full-card simulcasting. Many uh, good-sized tracks are in action tomorrow, including um, Woodbine, uh, Del Mar, Golden Gate. You know, I'm not sure of all the morning schedule. I think Churchill's in action. I don't think New York is in okay, action. I don't either. Most yeah. of the other ones are, yeah. yeah. And, uh, A little s-
3: earlier post times at most places, too, okay. tomorrow.
2: 1750. For a nice turkey dinner from Quick Picks at Emerald Downs tomorrow. So, if you want to get your turkey dinner, that's going to start. I believe you can start uh, feeding yourself that turkey at 11 a.m. 11 to 2, that might be the serve time for the uh, turkey dinner here at Emerald Downs, 1750. And it's all the turkey dinner that you'd want, all the fixings, you name it, it's in there. Plus, it includes a dessert as well. And again, we are open seven days a week for full card simulcasting. Hey, Horse of the year, national-like, um, you know, after the Breeders' Cup, Idiomatic won to go eight for nine this year with the second. She won the Distaff, but Cody's Wish also won, and uh, he ended up, uh, what, four for five, uh, multiple Breeders' Cup winner in his career. Yeah. And, of course
3: a great story with Cody Dorman.
2: Cody Dorman passed away just right... It Was it the day after? I think it was Sunday.
3: The, the, yeah, it was either Sunday or Monday yeah. right after you got to watch the horse win. And that, uh,
2: race. you know, I know so many of you are familiar with that story, but wow, that... Uh, his life expectancy with uh, his his ailment there was like two years, I've read, and he lived to be, what, 17 or 18, Cody? Was, yeah, I think it was 18. Yeah. And
3: uh, yeah, it was... Uh, very uh, great story throughout the year, and uh, boy, Cody's Wish, that horse, he's another one of those that knows where the wire is, doesn't he? Because he, I didn't really care for his chances too much inside the eighth
2: pole there, and he he got the W again. He gamed it out, and uh, you know, that, that story with, with Cody Dornan, Dorman, um, he met the horse when the horse was just, uh, I believe, not even two on their first meeting, and that's, of course, where Cody's Wish got his name. Yeah. And it was a Make-A-Wish thing, and then every time he met that horse, the horse just uh, put his head in his in Cody's lap and uh, went over to him and was kind as hell. And I heard on on other occasions that horse could be a little tough, you know, as far as training and and exercising. So it's just a tr- tremendous. Story. You
3: know, and you and I have talked that when when you something like a horse of the year, um, something like that can't help but affect you a little bit if you're voting right a greater story you know on on top of you know it's mainly what the horse accomplished on it, but but you know the whole saga you were talking about there joe is just such a story that it would kind of be a good capstone to i get think he's going
2: to get it you know uh White barrio the breeders cup classic when yep. that that horse is always considered but he did he was three for five this year and his last two races were spectacular Whitney and the Breeders' Cup Classic. But uh, yeah, I think Cody's Wish, I don't have a vote, but I I think he's going to get it. Both Idiomatic and Cody's Wish, uh, both sired by Curlin. As a matter of fact, they both uh, only lost one time and uh, that vote will be coming up later. I think they are certainly the major contenders. The two-year-old, the big favorites in the two-year-old race has kind of flopped. And uh, you know you got Europeans in a lot of the grass races as well, so uh, it's probably down to those three: Cody's Wish, Idiomatic, and White barrio for National Horse of the Year. Uh, as far as the Washington honors, um, we'll we'll go over that a little bit more next month. Of course, Slews Tiz was our horse of the meeting for the second straight year and he is not among the top four leading washington bred horse earners this year but he still won two out of four two stakes races a third in the mile um certainly deserved horse of the meeting honors here at emerald downs
3: yeah he did and uh you know like i said i i would hope we'll see him again next year yeah and uh five-star general we talked about and uh
2: we shall see. Papa's golden boy could be back. How about uh, three-year-old turning four, Clovis Connection? He ran pretty well over this track. I'm a big fan of that horse. Yeah.
3: He's run pretty well over every track they've put him on, you know, and he, he can sprint, he can route, um, he went turf in one. Um, I'm a big fan of that horse, and uh, I think if he improves even a little bit, as an older horse, he'll be a handful, you know, and I'd, I'd love to see him back here.
2: Well... Uh, looking at the Long Acres Mile is a place that uh, so many of our trainers point for. And Blaine Wright is the trainer of Clovis Connection. So uh, good chance he has got that on a possible uh, schedule for next year. So this is Horse Racing Northwest. Uh, again, we've got a couple guests, Doug Moore and uh, John Parker is going to join us on the show. We'll have our sports shorts and, and uh, trivia at the end. Um, we have a new sire in the state, Alternation, as that is at the Pabst Blue Ribbon Farm in Buckley. As uh, Conveyance, unfortunately, passed away earlier this year. Conveyance was the replacement for Attaboy Roy, who went to Kentucky and uh, is siring youngsters there. And Conveyance uh, did pass away. He had several horses at the sale. In fact, I think he sired three crops here in uh Standing at Paps Blue Ribbon, so we'll see some conveyance youngsters the next few seasons. But alternation, uh, Emerald Downs kind of put him on the mac- map back in 2017. Vince, I do. I remember when. He, yeah,
3: what was the name of the horse again? I, we just had it today and uh, he got his first
2: win here with the, uh, <laughs> My Heart <laughs> Awakens.
3: Was that the dam or the...
2: No, that was the name of the horse. Okay,
3: yeah. It was a colt. He won... That's right. And then he went into the Gottstein, I believe, after that. Yeah, very nice horse. He won nice his horse.
2: debut. He won uh, an allowance race or a... Yeah, now I remember with Javier Matias yeah. up and, yeah. For and, uh, the uh, Barbara Radcliffe's Coal Creek Farm. Coal Creek Farm, yeah. And... Uh, the first cool. winner sired by Alternation. That was 2017. That's right. And
3: I'm glad to see the Paps uh, still going strong.
2: You bet. Great sign. Uh and we'll get Debbie Pabst on a future show and have her tell us a little bit more about alternation. She made a trip to Kentucky, um, came back with him, and she also bought a mare back there as well. That's that's in Buckley also. So maybe we can get Debbie on our show, our our December horse racing Northwest podcast. We're going to take a timeout. We're going to come back with Doug Moore here on Horse Racing
0: Northwest. Come in, have fun, have fun. It doesn't matter if you love craps, blackjack, machines or dining on the finest Asian, American and Salish cuisines. It doesn't matter what you do or where you're coming from.
1: Muckleshoot.
0: What you do is all at Muckleshoot. An easy drive from wherever you are. All roads lead to Muckleshoot. Come in, have fun. Muckleshoot. They ran the
4: quarter 21 flat, the half 43-2, and two, and now they're coming down the lane. And Mandatory still holds the lead, but here comes that big, gray Colt, Captain Kondo. He'll take command. He'll draw away. He's Captain Kondo on the lead. Captain Kondo and
0: Mandatory.
2: That was the 1987 Governor's Handicap at Long Acres. The great Captain Condo and Vince, when you say the great, you can follow that with Captain Condo's horse name in Washington history.
3: Yeah, you bet. And uh I was there that day. And Doug, I was gonna mention in addition to that great gray horse, you wrote another uh Oregon bred gray that uh you won some stakes on. Do you remember the name of that one?
4: I do. Um that was a Polynesian flyer for, for Tex Irwin, uh one uh I think the Renton and the Space Needle the year before that on on Paul.
3: That is correct, and right down the middle of the racetrack at twelve to one, beating Foddy and Run Rony Run. Yeah, paid twenty eight mm-hmm. eighty. So yeah, you, those were two really really good Washington Breads. Captain Condo, everyone knows thirty for seventy. Polynesian Flyer, fourteen for fifty four, made three hundred and forty six grand. Wow. So he was a fine
2: racehorse. And Doug, you wrote them both. And that was a pretty yep. casual introduction to Doug Moore on this segment, Vince. But uh, let's let's bring him in, the jockey aboard Captain Condo, and also Polynesian Flyer in Longacre's days, and uh, just great service to the Washington Thoroughbred industry as a jockey, as a steward, as the executive secretary during some tough times, and now a commissioner in the Washington Horse Racing Commission. Doug Moore joining us here on Horse Racing Northwest. Yeah, just really good to have you on Doug and and happy Thanksgiving to you and yours.
1: Thank you,
4: Joe. I appreciate you having me on and uh, same to you.
2: Yeah, we we'll appreciate that and we got Doug on because uh there's just a been a lot of changes in the last couple of seasons in Washington racing and nationally and there's just uh, a lot of organizations at a recent commission meeting uh, Doug was going to he's going to represent the WHRC at the ARCI meeting and he is uh, chair elect secretary of the ARCI which is the Association of Racing Commissioners International and they've been around a long time and there's just a lot of bodies now that uh have some power. Well, let's find out more from Doug on just how much power and what some of these organizations organizations do. And let's start with the, with your organization, Doug, the WHRC.
4: Yeah, well, the WHRC was formed in 1933 and, uh, our, our, our authority and our mission is basically the same as it was back then. And that is to ensure all the races are run fairly and to protect the participants, uh, which includes the, uh, uh, the uh, jockeys, exercise riders, all the occupational licensees, the betting public is a high priority. But our our, our highest priority is ensuring that these horses are protected. And we do that by uh, uh, promulgating rules, and they change as new information comes in. Um, and we try to stay up on, on the latest science to, uh, to ensure that everybody is being treated uh, the way they
1: should be.
2: Okay. And, you know, we see rulings from, uh, during the race meet quite often on all of those areas that you guys, uh, enforce the rules, correct?
4: Correct. We, uh, the commission, uh, the commission hires the executive secretary and the executive secretary then hires our racing officials, which include, uh, we have a lot of, uh, employees out there that people don't understand are there because mm-hmm. they're doing a lot of work behind the scenes, but they all have an important duty. Uh, we hire all, the stewards, which, uh, you know, uh, oversee the race, ensure it's run fairly. They also uh, hold administrative hearings for rule violations and can assess civil penalties along with suspensions. Um, we have veterinarians to, uh, to uh, look at these horses to make sure that they are healthy and sound to race. Uh, we have a, a paddock judge that makes sure the horses are all wearing consistent equipment because a little change of equipment might change that horse's style. So, we want to make sure if, if a trainer is, is putting blinkers on a horse, for example, that the public is made aware of that.
2: <laughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, we have a clerk of scales to make sure the horses are all uh, carrying the correct weight. We have investigators, uh, uh, just a myriad of, of officials to uh, oversee everything to make sure things are done above board and the public is made aware of any changes.
2: Yep, and there are commission meetings open to the public pretty much every month. I think I think you said you were skipping—there's uh, no December meeting, as usual.
4: Right, we we hold nine meetings a year. Okay. We, we miss December, and we also don't hold a meeting in May. And then there's one meeting that falls between the late July, early August, depending on schedules. But there's nine meetings, regular scheduled meetings a year. We do hold special meetings periodically if there's something— that needs addressed quickly.
2: Very good. The WHRC, Washington Horse Racing Commission, with uh, the power to run racing through the Washington State Government. So Doug is a commissioner, and uh, and he's also been involved in a lot of other areas. And Doug, uh, just the last two seasons, HISA, the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Authority, uh, authorized by the federal government and it's uh, kind of sister organization, HiWoo uh, horse integrity and welfare unit. Those two play uh, entities have come on and <laughs> created uh, some changes uh, all over North America uh, or the United States. Anyway, um, just talk about their beginnings and, and their power.
4: Well, I'll, I'll fall back just slightly. Okay. Joe. Is, uh, before we had, at one point, thirty-six racing states that had paramutual wagering. Everybody has the issues and problems, and we were trying to make things as uniform as we could. And that's where what you mentioned briefly earlier—the Association of Racing Commissioners International—came in. Mm. And it is—it was a group that was put together by all the paramutual wagering states to uh, meet and draft model rules, talk about, uh, you know. Uh, in, uh, issues that everybody was dealing with. But the, but the thing with the ARCI, although we have model rules and it was recommended the states adopt those, the ARCI has no authority to to, in, to force anybody to adopt those rules. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, whenever a new model rule was adopted, someone would have to go to each individual state and have them go through their rulemaking process to adopt these model rules. Some states adopted them all, some did part, so it was still kind of a patchwork regulatory scheme, but it wasn't that far off. Mm -hmm. And the medication rules to protect these horses was all adopted based on science. Uh, There were studies done to ensure that if a horse could have a a small concentration of a therapeutic medication uh, in its system when it ran, it was at a level that either A, it was not performance enhancing, or B, it was not masking any injuries. So, um, but as so, the high came about because, as I said before, states weren't required, and the ARCI had no authority to 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 require them to adopt these model rules.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: The Jockey Club, which is the breed registry, which is made up of an elite group of very influential and well off. Breeders in Kentucky have been pushing. They were pushing for these model medication rules for years. They got Senator Mitch McConnell to uh, bring up legislation years ago, and it couldn't get a hearing because it was so controversial. The states fought it in 2020 in the middle of COVID when they when the they did the COVID relief uh, bill for the funding. This HIWU, or HISA, was created and placed in the middle of this bill that had to pass. Hmm. Um, the goal was that that way every state would be running under the same rules. It hasn't worked out that. Right now, this industry is more fractured than ever. Wow. The only authority that HISA that Hissa had was if you did not follow their rules, You couldn't send your simulcast signal across state lines or other places to wager on it. And they were also given the authority to assess fees on racetracks and states to cover their expenses. But there was no funding package for that, and they're not accountable for what their fees are. They were basically given a blank check.
1: Wow. The
4: fees are very expensive. So... Many states opted out, and they discontinued sending their simulcast signal. And so now we have uh, states under HISA rules, states not under HISA rules. And the other key point is the HISA rules only pertain to thoroughbred racing. So if it's a standard bred or a quarter horse, it's not under HISA rules. So it's really become a fractured industry at this point.
2: Yeah, uh, and you have to deal with them as uh, enforcing rules of Washington. So uh, they have a little bit more power than the WHRC, it sounds like.
4: Yeah, their their rules, if we're going to simulcast, preempt the Washington State Racing Commission rules. Uh And uh, their rules cover medication and equine safety, which... You know everything we do is based on safety, so they have uh, assumed a lot of a lot of our rules and authority, um, and made our rules uh, basically a moot point.
3: Well, yeah, Doug, Vince here. Uh, how different are the federal rules from what uh, the horsemen here have been operating under for for many many years? And um, how do the horsemen here uh did they read up on the new rules? Was there was a mandatory studying they had to do to see any differences in medication and how was the word gotten out on something like that and again, how different are these rules from what the horsemen here have been uh, racing under for many years
4: The, the rules are much much more sh- strict a lot more reporting uh, is required um It works very well in some of the bigger states and some of these large trainers that have the resources to hire staff to do that. We have small trainers with small stables that don't have those resources. They have to report every medication they give to a horse. They have to report where that horse is at all times, even if it goes home to a farm. And the medication rules themselves are... uh, much lower standards, or not, not lower standards, but lower threshold levels
1: mm-hmm.
4: on these therapeutic medications. And the, ish, and the problem that we've had is that they're not based on science. They are just, or if it is, they're not being transparent on where those studies are. And so it's been a real difficult transition for the horsemen and our practicing vets on the backside taking care of these horses to learn where that line is on, on treating these horses with therapeutic medications.
2: Well, you mentioned earlier that, uh, they had the authority, I to charge the racetracks for their work, basically to have somebody pay for their, uh, their investigation and their testing and so forth. Um, but trainers are liable for some expenses as well on this, aren't they?
4: Yeah. The, um, the, the, The HISA requires that the track submit either the commission has to agree to pay the fees, which the Washington Horse Racing Commission does not have that kind of uh, funding that we could do it. Mm -hmm. So then it falls on the track and they have to have a payment plan that includes that they that they are paying part of it and the horsemen are paying part of it.
2: Okay.
4: last year it was five hundred and twenty thousand dollars we were very lucky and very grateful to the legislature that they did give us some money a one-time appropriation that helped cover those fees so the track and the horsemen were not responsible the commission gave that money back in a in a grant process to cover those fees okay. next year after one year their assessment fees are w- going from 520,000 to 720,000 and we don't have the money i don't know where emerald downs or the horsemen are going to get it um the emerald downs may have to charge a per start fee which the owners are having a hard time making in beat now and it's not going to do our industry in the state any 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 favors um by running off more owners
2: yeah okay well heise has come in and done uh, the same things that you and your commission have done in the past and are doing uh, in a different way. Uh, just a general uh, general thought on HISA and what I hear a lot from casual fans and, and around the barn area is that uh, the organization came out of uh, kind of nowhere and uh, maybe more, much more input from animal rights people, than anybody in the horse racing industry that might have some experience and know that, uh, you know, some of these areas uh, need need this scrutinized and this changed. Um, is that fair that, uh, and, and, you know, we're all for, you mentioned right off the top, one of the first things you said, protecting the horses and protecting uh, ensure fair racing. So that has always been a goal. Has is, is said just come in and uh, ignored a lot of, the things in the past that even worked?
4: I believe they have. I believe uh, like as I said, the ARCI model rules and the Washington medication rules were based on on science and studies.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I don't know that the animal rights activists have an active seat on the ISA board, but I do believe they have a lot of influence. and this is not the commission standpoint, my personal standpoint, that some of these rules are set more for appearance than in the best interest of the horse.
3: Okay, and Doug, you mentioned that if it, the 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 hammer that HISA has is they can restrict out-of-state simulcasting for a track, which of course is a a, a huge portion of most tracks' handle. Um, what has happened? How, are there some states that are, are defying HISA, and what 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 would they go through if they do?
4: Well, currently there are numerous states that are, are simply did not sign an agreement with HISA or enforce ISA rules because the assessment fees did not pencil out at the bottom line to the to what they were actually making on their sending their signal out. Uh, you know, their states like Wyoming and Idaho and Oregon that uh, they can bring other tracks in, they can't send their theirs out. So it made better a biz, a better business plan and financial sense mm. sense to just not Comply with HISA. There is several court cases pending, uh, and the three major states that are racing that are not under the HISA rules are Texas, Louisiana, and West Virginia because they are, they have filed lawsuits um, that, on the constitutionality of turning over regulatory authority to a private entity. Um, and from that, all appearances, this may take you know the courts move slow. Okay, may take a couple of years uh but i ultimately the thought is that this will end up being decided by the supreme court whether hisa is constitutional or not
2: okay now there's there's the end goal and it could be as Doug just mentioned maybe up to 2 years uh, the way courts move and uh priorities uh you're going to attend an, an arci meeting early next year um what are you guys going to talk about there
4: well, HISA is always a, a high priority. Yeah. But the ARCI still has a lot of other duties. Okay. Um. You know, they work on uh, on wagering pools and integrity. And right now, uh, as everything else, so we're looking at cybersecurity, uh, especially uh, dealing with the advanced deposit wagering companies. Uh, but HISA is always at the forefront. And uh, quite frankly, ARCI tried to work with HISA when it was first uh created
1: mm-hmm.
4: uh we tried to offer our years of expertise in regulatory work and we were ignored and at this point HISA does not cooperate with arci we would we would be more than happy to work with them to try to make this better for everybody and that will be one of our goals again at the meeting this spring
2: Okay. And that, of course, another thing that we were uh, first introduced to HISA was the jockey whip rule, which of course affected every race.
3: Well, what I didn't like about that, Doug, was we're our jockeys here had to change right in midstream, right during the middle of a meet, which is asking a lot, I thought, of a rider. But it is federal legislation. You got to deal with it. But uh, yeah, that's got to be tough on, on a jockey who's uh, asked to change uh, his, his uh, manner of riding overnight. It seems, right. like, seems uh, like there could have been a little you know,
4: more, that, yeah. It jo- I mean, a, a jockey gets in a habit, and, and I will say, you know, back in knock on my day, the whip was probably overused. Um, but to go to an arbitrary number that they pulled out of thin air, that six strikes is, is it, and if you go one over that, it's a, you know, it's a hefty uh, penalty to the jockey. And there was no grace period Yeah, was, that's- uh, for our jockeys running for minimal purses. It was, a, I think, a two hundred and fifty dollar fine could have been a five hundred dollar fine and a one day suspension, which was the exact same penalty they were giving a jockey riding at Belmont Park or Churchill Downs. Um, I argued against that and sent in comments numerous times that, it, you know, that, that they, it is not a consistent penalty to find a, a jockey at Emerald Downs, the same as you're finding a jockey at Churchill Downs.
2: Most definitely. Um,
4: they are now, they have proposed rules to the FTC, who has to approve the rules, of a vipercated penalty system where the, the fine will be based on the purse structure. Okay. So, you know, they are listening to some extent. It just takes some time to get things through.
3: And it, and it bears repeating, Doug, the, the, the riding crop or the whips that the, the riders use today are a little different from what they were in your day. Uh, they're more, oh, yeah. more or less poppers now. That uh, really Yeah,
4: they are. They're cylindrical foam. There's nothing solid at the end. They make more noise than they, than they even sting. Um, yeah, the, the protection of the horses has gotten so much better, uh, and, and some of it was warranted. Uh, some of this strike count issue, uh, like I said, they they pulled the number six out of just as an arbitrary number. Nobody could come up with a reason why that was the right
2: number. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and only the, you know, the lead time on that, as we just mentioned, you could have said this'll incorporate on January 1st, 2024, or even 2023, but no, it was, took effect right away. And, uh, just not a lot of time to adjust so right and,
4: and the horsemen were in the same boat joe um when the medication rules changed that was may 22nd where we'd been running three weeks already yeah and then all of a sudden the medication rules changed when they were fairly dramatic changes so you know they, they there's not a sometimes i think there's not a lot of thought put into it
2: okay well Geez, uh that uh, a lot of organizations and uh you know some good work throughout the years uh and now dealing with a, a federal authority has uh caused some changes for Doug Moore and the Washington commissioners Bob Lopez Dr Claude Regel um all dealing with that um which they will continue to do and Doug's involved in in uh, so many other areas uh, again with the ARCI that meeting, and the RMTC, uh, the Racing Medication and Testing Consortium, uh, just put that one out there quickly, um, they did, they do their job, too, and then they're also just a recommendatory agency?
4: Yeah, the RMTC, that, that falls back to where I mentioned that the RCI set the medication the thresholds and, and medication yeah. uh, rules for the horses. Uh, it was created in 2001. It's uh, at the request of the ARCI, okay, and it's made up of uh, regulatory vets, practicing vets, uh, lab directors, and chemists, and they all get together and look at the studies. and the, And their goal is the same as everybody else's to protect the horse, but they were the ones that would look at the studies and come up with the appropriate threshold levels. They're still in operation. As I said, we still have states not running under AR or HSA.
1: Mm -hmm. and
4: uh, other breeds, so they are still active, and uh, we rely on them even today uh, to give us good guidance on setting these rules.
2: Very good. Well, thanks so much, Doug, for the information as we head into another year. Uh, We're set for our start on May 4th, a lot to do before then, and uh, a lot of going back and forth from you and the commission with all these agencies and let's, let's hope for the best for all. Uh, that's a general statement, well, but that's it keeps uh, you on
4: your toes. <laughs>
2: definitely. Hey, Doug, uh, happy holidays once again and, uh, have a good, uh, rest of the year and, and we'll, we'll speak soon. Thanks for joining us.
4: No problem. Uh, same to you, Joe and, and Vince, uh, you guys have a nice, nice holidays. Thank Thanks, you. Doug.
2: Doug Moore, commissioner in the Washington Horse Racing Commission. Uh, He has uh, seen a lot of changes in recent years and he's dealing with it as uh, we just heard from Doug. So uh, best to him. And uh, again, those commission meetings are available to the public. If you'd like to sit in on one, most of them are held at Emerald Downs now. And uh, you can go to the WHRC website and find out the commission's meeting schedule. Okay. Uh, Emerald Downs, uh, you can get a $49 season pass for 2024, 55 days of racing. Uh, You can do that math pretty easily. Okay. Um, That is less than a buck a day for admission. And that works out pretty good, Vince. That's a good deal. $49 for a season pass. Those are available through December 31st. That's a great deal. It is. And uh, Dancing at the Downs, Next edition is Saturday, December 23rd, the day before Christmas Eve. So Saturday, the 23rd uh, evening, Dancing at the Downs. It's going to be a Rolling Stones cover group. They got a few songs to uh, choose from for their playlist. They're still going. I can't believe it. (laughs) They got another tour scheduled for national tour, uh, North American tour maybe in 2024, the, the Real Stones. Okay, we're going to take a timeout, come back with uh, much more, our third segment here on Horse Racing Northwest.
0: It doesn't matter if you love craps, blackjack, machines, or dining on the finest Asian, American, and Salish cuisines. It doesn't matter what you do or where you're coming from. What you do is all at Muckleshoot. An easy drive from wherever you are. All roads lead to Muckleshoot.
1: Muckleshoot.
4: Quarter mile to go, and Razor Stanza has the lead, and in second from far back, here comes Harmony Creek. It's Razor Stanza on the lead. Harmony Creek under Corrales, drives on the outside. Harmony Creek takes the lead. The Washington bread out there by one. Razor Stanza fights back on the inside. It's Harmony Creek.
2: That was Harmony Creek winning the 1989 Long Acres Derby. Great victory for trainer Bill Tillett. He was owned by Brian Mayer. And I can't remember who rode that horse right now. Finn Jose Sprint. Corrales. Jose Corrales rode Harmony Creek. Nice call. Uh, tremendous victory. Harmony Creek followed that up with a third in the Long Acres Mile.
3: Yes, he did. And that was a, a really good uh, 1989 mile with a horse called Simply Majestic. who was a back-to-back winner. Harmony Creek, really good. And then, of course, our guest, John Parker, he won the... Uh,
2: I've seen
3: Futurity with uh, Bill Tillett with a nice horse called Gold Rush Dancer.
2: And that's our guest right now, Bill Tillett, uh, passing away earlier this week at the age of 90. Bill uh, trained Harmony Creek. One of uh, Just before we get John on... Um, that was one of the great training feats in Longacre's history because that horse hadn't run for three months and he got him to go a mile and three sixteenths and win. He did. And
3: and the week, exactly a week before the race, he worked a mile before the races. And so it was like 25 minutes before the races. I was standing right at the rail and um, I said, you know, I didn't know a lot about workouts then, but boy, that sure looked good because he worked a mile and he was, he galloped out strong, Corrales was up and... I made up my mind right then. I was betting on him, but then, wow. a, week, but then a week happened and I changed. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't make yeah, the money. I didn't
2: bet on but him. No, either. you're right. Great training job. I think he was about five to one. John Parker employed Bill Tillett as his trainer for several seasons here at Emerald Downs. John Parker has won five of our last eight train owner titles, so that has moved him into second place all time in wins at Emerald Downs. A huge part of this track's history especially the last 8 to 10 years. John Parker joining us here on Horse Racing Northwest. John, welcome, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family.
1: That's nice of you to say that. Thanks again.
2: You bet. Um,
1: Yeah, I remember uh, Bill at Long Acres. That guy, uh, he's such an awesome guy. He he was an important guy because he always wore that hat and those nice boots. Mm Mm-hmm at the long Anchor days when i was a teenager and i knew this guy was a standout trainer just the way he he appeared and he was always in the winter circle too and then he had that big horse uh, like you said harmony creek but um i got to know him on the backside uh, during training uh with when i had kaz Mursky. And Kaz and him would always hang out and visit along with George Cluttle Sr. Okay. And so I took a liking to Bill. Um, And then at that time also, Candy was still doing my mares. So I got to know him a little bit on on that part of it too. Sure. But, uh, no, I wanted a big guy at the time to train my horses. And so I gave Bill the role. I think I gave him about seven or eight of them. And... uh, Obviously, the best one was Gold Rush Dancer, and he was a standout when he was a yearling. And then <laughs> the funny thing is, and uh, Bill started working that horse. Uh, he would call me up and say, "John, John, John." He's, he's like Flintstone. His horse just keeps feet, just keep going. He's going to be a fast horse. He's a Flintstone.
2: <laughs> and you uh, know, and didn't Donna Tillette at one point tell you, "John, we've got a stakes winner for you, finally." They
1: did say that.
2: Yeah, and he won the Gottstein in a in a, and that uh, John, as you well know, that was the season that Barkley was three for three as a two-year-old, and Mach One Rules was four for four as a two-year-old. There wasn't a lot of wins left out there, but Gold Rush Dancer won two races, including the Gottstein Futurity. So what a season um two thousand fifteen for two year olds at Emerald Downs and you got the big one, the Gottstein. With yeah. Bill.
1: Well the thing was there was we uh Frank did not decide what to do with uh Mach one and we weren't deciding what we we're gonna do with Gold Rush because there was another stake race that day. Yeah. And either that sprint or the two turn race. And luckily my, <laughs> Mach one went in the yeah. sprint and we went in the two turn race and yeah, we won that but Hats off to Bill Tulec. That guy had an eye. That guy was good. He I mean he was I mean, that guy would call me all the time and talk and, and ask me questions. And he's gonna be missed at that racetrack. I mean he has been missed since he's retired. Um,
2: good guy. Yeah.
1: And all the good food that Donna brought to the track and to the people and he was a good cook, right?
2: Uh Bill or Donna? Both. Donna. Okay. Donna
1: brought all kinds of good stuff and desserts, galore.
2: She was a huge part of his operation. She was there most days and uh, just very well Every known. Day. Yeah, she was there. Every uh, day. Uh, and, and their kids, of course. David was a great hand, uh, ponying horses and assistant trainer. And Daryl uh, worked around the barn a lot. And their daughter also. Um, just
1: Joe, a, the whole family mm.
2: were good people, good
1: horsemen. Bill taught them right. I mean, they were good, good horsemen. All yeah. of them.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we miss David around here, especially. He took a job for the Forest Service in Alaska about, gosh, it's got to be about ten years ago now. But uh, I always liked talking with David as well. And Bill had the history, and he had that eye. He was, uh, more, I don't know, more of a serious guy. You might have seen, mm-hmm. seen a different, you might have seen a different side of a side of him being uh, having a closer relationship. But you said he was, <laughs> he was said he was kind a, of a
1: quiet guy. But boy, <laughs> okay. that guy was good. We'd go to the it went to the sale a couple of times he picked me out a couple of decent ones that were all right um yeah good guy good good family so all the way around
2: yeah yeah uh, just uh you know passing and here in washington um he came here in the late 60s and just a huge part of the long acres era and uh, right through to emerald downs and uh vince here um you, Vince, you always took an extra look at built-to-let horses, especially the young ones. You you commented to me that so many times. I'm going to take a look at this to let horse here. Yeah,
3: he was a sharp horseman. Yeah. He was, uh, and mm-hmm. the thing with him is he could win. Uh, he didn't really have a, he was good at, to me, in all categories. If he gave him a good horse, he knew what to do with it. If you gave him a clamor, he'd, he'd find the right spot for it. And he'd figure out a young horse, what it, what it could and couldn't do, and he'd have him properly spotted. He was just a good horseman. And like John said, I inv- I didn't know him as well as maybe you do, but I always enjoyed visiting with Bill. He always made you feel welcome at the barn. He had interesting quip. Always, but, yeah. yeah, and just uh, a nice guy and a comp- very competent horseman. And, uh, yeah, another loss. Yeah.
1: Yes. But you remember a horse named Tching ching Pete, right?
3: Sure. You bet.
1: <laughs> Vic Cozzetti Brad horse. I cleaned I that knew. horse in Preston Boyd, I think, two or three times. And each time I claimed him, uh, Bill would give me the Indian chant. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was good. We had fun with that horse. That horse won me some races with Bill. You know,
2: oh, yeah, he was fast. Man. Another
3: claim to fame Bill Tillette has the highest $2 winner in Emerald Downs history, making Fire $153 on May 31st, 2015. Yeah.
2: And I think. I know Donna bet that horse. I, it's either uh, three across or five wow. across. I think it was five across. and she, That adds up fast at those yeah, numbers. <laughs> yeah, the highest $2 winner. Um, shoot, and the yeah, gold rush dancer was a real real highlight for him, uh, winning the Gottstein in that year with all those good two-year-olds. It just was you had to pick your spots, and things worked out right there because you're right. Um, Mach 1 Rules won the two-year-old sprint stake that day to go four for four. And then you guys met two years later in the mile, uh, Van Belvoir trained Gold Rush Dancer after having that tremendous California three-year-old of the year season in 2016 for Gold Rush Dancer. And you brought him up, and you beat Mach 1 in the mile. He ran second to you. Yeah.
0: And, uh, and John did.
3: John was thrill. happy that day. John told <laughs> anyone who would listen that week that that horse was winning the mile, and yeah. he won it easily.
1: He
2: did.
3: And uh, now, he's, well, he
1: looked sharp off the van. He looked sharp in the paddock. Uh, I was confident. Hey, sure. so Van had me pumped. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't. Uh, I didn't send him with Bill to Arizona that year because he was a cowbred bred, and uh, I wanted to go down to California and down there. And boy, did I make the right move, didn't oh, I? Oh
2: my gosh! Mm-hmm. The, you know, that, that's just one of those decisions you have to make as an owner, and. Again, he was named California Three-Year-Old of the Year in 2016. He won uh, stakes at Golden Gate, uh, Santa Anita, and Del Mar. Or Golden Gate. He won at three tracks. He won at I Del
3: know. Mar. In fact, I yeah. represented John. Remember, John, Santa you said go, go to the Winter circle if he wins that day. And he won at 14 to 1 at Del Mar. Went wire to wire with Flavian Pratt up, and that was a great day for me.
2: <laughs> 13 or 14 to 14 1, 14 to, to 1,
3: yeah. Okay. And he opened up three around the turn. I'm thinking, wow, this horse is really running. And I think those couple of Phil model horses were chasing him pretty hard to the wire, but he showed he was a good horse. He dug in and, and he got the money. And that was uh, probably a hundred, I might've been the real good deal or one of those stakes. I down, real
2: good deal. There yeah.
3: Go. $150,000. And I asked Van in the winter circle, well, well it's three or why
2: don't you bring him up for the money? I said, nope, next year. So <laughs> yeah, well, and that worked out too. So Gold Rush Dancer, a real highlight, and actually, you know, there's another thing. Gold Rush Dancer has the highest average earnings per start of any horse in Emerald Downs history with five or more starts. He's Not number bad. one yeah. on that list, and he's a sire now. I think he's he's up there at Eldorado Farms in Enumclaw. Correct? No, he's
1: right? at oh. Debbie Paps.
2: Oh, oh, oh! Sorry about that. You know, yep, those... Debbie Paps has okay. it. Okay, very good. She's got him and. Uh, her new stallion alternation. So some action there in uh, Buckley and also in Enumclaw, uh, Coast Guard and Barkley, of course, at uh, El Dorado.
3: I got one more question for John. John, are we going to see some more of those Gold Rush Dancer two-year-olds here in 2024?
1: That was the year I sent him east. I don't have any two-year-old. I got two-year-old, no yearlings. Okay. So I don't have... uh, I got a couple...
2: Well, well, the ones we've seen can run but, uh, a little bit. He's still only 10 years old, so he's got some time.
1: I can't keep track of all these horses, so I don't know. I got some coming.
2: Yeah, I, I see know. I see you've got some action at Parks, and uh, you got got maybe a couple with Justin Evans at uh, Delta Downs as well.
1: I got a few Hooper, at Louisiana, and I got like a 12 at Parks. There's like five two-year-olds running next week, so... Wow. We'll see what happens.
2: That is a lot of action. As we, those in... will
1: come back to Seattle next spring.
2: Excellent. Good to hear that. Yeah. Well, we won't have Bill to let. He did retire a co- couple years ago, uh, but he lived a great long life, and uh, him with his uh, family involved in Washington racing and uh, deserved some attention and recognition. And we'll keep our eye out for any other services. But uh, Bill, a real fixture and success in Washington racing is John. Parker. Well,
1: you know, he hits top of the list of all best trainers that ever lived down there and trained out at that place, including Lankers. He was there. Yep. That's the guy.
2: Very good. Well, John, yeah. thanks for joining us so much. And uh, again, happy Thanksgiving, happy holidays. Uh, uh, being an owner, and in your category is a full-time job. Uh, again, five two-year-olds uh, scheduled to run at parks over the next several days. So a lot of action there, and good luck to you, man. And uh,
1: Thanks, bud. Mm-hmm.
2: G- great to have you Appreciate on. Appreciate that. Yep. Thanks, John, for joining us. Always good to see you
1: at the track, both of you. So All right. I like to visit Vince upstairs, so that's nice.
2: <laughs> and, uh, Always welcome. You know A that. lot of people like to see you at the track as well, so... And through your generosity. Thanks, John. Uh, again, You're ha- welcome. Happy holidays.
1: Thank oh, you again.
2: John Parker joining us here on Horse Racing Northwest. And uh, Vince, I was going to mention uh, Harmony Creek third in the mile after winning that uh, memorable derby. He's the most recent three-year-old to place in the mile. Is um, that right? Yeah. Other than uh, when you count just Emerald Downs and uh, uh, Long Acres. Uh, four of the children actually ran third at Yakima in 93 for doris harwood but uh, harmony creek was a really fine horse he he won those two sprint stakes and then just a little issue he had three months off bill to again brought him back to that mile on a 3 16th race on works and he he beat raise a stanza in there was that a was that a whittingham horse uh, I can't remember. I can't no, remember. I don't think so. had
3: one in there. I think that might have been a Jay Robbins Ooh, horse. Okay. And it was a good horse. I think it might have been owned by Jack Kent Cook. Um, very nice horse. And then another horse Bill had that people don't talk about a lot, because he had an abbreviated career was Table Express. The 84 Gottstein winner, he was fast, fast, fast. And I think he went four for four lifetime. Yep, never I th- lost. I think he might have bowed a tendon and they retired him. And he actually became a stud and had a few winners, I believe, as a uh, stallion.
2: Yeah, he did. He, he had some runners here. So uh, Bill Tillett leaving us at the age of 90. And we did have another passing in the industry as well. So many backstretch workers over the last five decades remember guy winchester walter guy winchester passed away at the age of 72 uh just a couple weeks ago Uh, he was born in the magnolia area went to chief South high school uh just found his way to the racetrack and uh He he used to, he got a horse by the name of 10 Stars who was a race horse. His parents had purchased that horse just to become horse owners at Long Acres. And he'd ride that horse in the off season up and down hills. And and talking with Howard Belvoir, he was an outstanding gallop boy in the early 70s. Howard Belvoir himself galloped and worked Red Eye Express most every morning. But he said... Uh, Guy Winchester was the only other fellow that he would let get on red eye express in the morning, uh, who did win red. Eye? won, I believe it was eight sprint stakes in long acres times, red eye express. So, uh, one of his relatives mentioned that, you know, he loved animals and the quote was, I've never known a bad person who loved animals. Anybody that loves animals, uh, you know, has got a place for people as well. And, uh, Guy passed away at age 72. He did train quite a bit here in the past and all around the Northwest. Uh, his last official starters as a trainer were in 2018. And, uh, hey, he's going to be missed by his family, his son, Chris, and his wife, Robin. So uh, our condolences to the Winchester family as well, uh, passing earlier this month. Okay. uh just to complete our uh, show, as we usually do, sports shorts. Um, I was just going to go and comment on the Carissa Thompson uh, situation in national broadcasting. She, of course, uh, a native of this Northwest, went to Inglemore High School. And she just came out on a podcast last week and mentioned that she would just uh, make up a few things for her halftime interview on-camera segments when she was on the field and uh you know that's just really a no-no in broadcasting i you know i've done plenty of interviews and relayed some information but i never really felt the need to do that at all uh you know it just should be against your your dna as a broadcaster and uh, the fact that she admitted it, it's a little funny too um you know it might have happened a few years ago because she doesn't do those uh, games anymore. She's a studio gal, but uh, well, you know, she's I, taken a lot of backlash from her colleagues. I
3: think one of the reasons she might have done it because she was on a podcast with someone else who did that job, Aaron Andrews, yeah. and they were, I think, kind of doing...
2: Oh, is that how that came out? Well, I
3: think okay. so, yeah, you know, because they could relate to each other having to do that, or and I think that's how it came out. But apparently she had done it once before, Uh uh, mentioned that in the past. And I'm with you. I don't, I don't like that. And yeah, it...
2: that's, uh, that's crossing a line there. A, a, cert, a real strong journalistic line of uh, credibility. So, uh, Carissa currently we see her on Sunday mornings on, uh, the Fox NFL pregame stuff. I'm not sure what else she does, but, uh, um, yeah, her colleagues have come out, um, uh, pretty much, uh, all against that and uh, not surprisingly on that account uh vince how about a sports short for you
3: i got one one sports real sports short and then one uh horse racing short okay uh okay. Do you uh how many times was the great babe ruth named mvp in his career
2: well, since you asked that question, I know it's low. Um, exactly. So I'll just say uh, twice. Once.
3: Once. 1923, and we all know the 1927 season where what? you hit 60 or whatever. But I just found that. Who the
2: heck got MVP that year? I think it might have been
3: Gehrig. So, um But yeah, that kind of surprised me. One of the all-time greats. Because he was a
2: top pitcher before he started hitting all those home Correct, runs. Correct,
3: with the Red Sox before he got uh traded to the yankees
2: okay and then a
3: uh short horse racing one we've talked before that you know the californian at uh hollywood park was uh was a nice race for washington breads over the years right travel orb and mustard plaster and was it bigs yeah all won the race in the 60s well it's the the that was the california was the traditional last stepping stone to the hollywood gold cup The traditional stepping stone to the Sanita Handicap, the big cap, was the San Antonio Handicap. And a couple of Oregon breds won that race. Praise Jay in 1969 and Mile Land in
2: 1941. Yeah, Praise Jay went on to win the mile that year. Yeah, one of the great Oregon breds of all time. He really dominated uh, that summer at Long Acres, 1969.
3: Because we we mentioned Polynesian Flyer, who was an Oregon bred earlier in the show, too. Okay,
2: yeah, that's right. He was an Oregon bred. Full brother of... uh, Lark's, uh, Lark's
3: Legacy, yeah. who was another wind machine.
2: Yeah. Uh, and and
3: Doug brought up Tex Irwin, Alex T. Irwin. Do you know whatever came of Tex? I, he was an
2: affable yeah. fella. I, another guy who'd uh, sport a cowboy hat now and then and boots. Um, I don't. Uh, Someone said he went back east to train or no? I yeah, don't know. I don't know. Uh, but Polynesian Flyer was certainly a, a really good horse. He ran second in the Long Acres Derby.
3: Flying Lark and Dolphin Dancer was the breeding there for Lark's Legacy and uh, Polynesian Flyer.
2: Okay, well, uh, just a lot of great action on the simulcast world. Um, I don't have any selections for this weekend myself, but uh, certainly we'll be paying attention with some great racing around the country. Yeah, I know
3: domar has got the Turf Festival, I believe, the old Hollywood Park Turf Festival that migrated
2: south. Um, That'll be fun to watch. A lot of big stakes at uh, Churchill on uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and probably Saturday as well. Um, again, fairgrounds is open. Tampa is open, and uh, Delta is open. Delta, it's got uh, some Washington influence this year. So, uh, get your handicapping going for those tracks. Emerald Downs open seven days a week for full card simulcasting. Uh, trivia. We had a crazy question last time. How many sires of Breeders' Cup runners have had progeny, have their progeny, their sons or daughters, earn purse money in the Breeders' Cup? So, you know, Into Mischiefs had all kinds of Breeders' Cup winners. That's one sire. But how many sires, runners, have earned purse money in any Breeders' Cup race over the last 39 years? We didn't count this year. There were 388 races since 1984. And I got a couple queries around the office you know they were really low it's just a crazy number i don't even know what i would have said but the answer is 822 oh boy 822 sires have earned purse money from their sons or daughters in breeders cup races going into this year
3: i doubt anyone got i that.
2: didn't get any answers on not that. even it was, russ or... it was yeah no russ didn't or michael or no nobody tried it okay our newest question um a horse called My Harbor's Dream. He's a four-year-old son of Harbor the Gold. He's a Washington bred. He has made like hundred and twenty-three dollars this year, starting in Southern Cal. He's won at Santa Anita, Delaware, and uh, I believe Aqueduct this year. So he's had a really good year. And he just got claimed in late September for $62,500. Richard Dutrow claimed him out of a race at Aqueduct in late September. My Harbor's Dream is his name. He's number two in earnings among Washington breads again, behind Zabra Kadabra, another son of Harbor the Gold. So the question is, what's the most money ever paid for a Washington bred in a claim? The highest claim in Washington history. Send your answers to trivia at emeralddowns.com. And we know it's not Snippledoo 60000 at at Acres, which is the state record still, Vince. Uh, and uh, um, Marion Smith claimed him. For Robert Resoff. Robert Resoff, the owner. And that horse went on a terror, winning the mile that year. And, and a bunch of other ones. Set a state record for earnings in one season. So that sixty grand was well spent. Um, we've got a lot of $50,000 claims here at Emerald Downs. But uh, what's the record claim for a Washington bred horse? Trivia at emeralddowns.com. Hey, happy holidays once again if you're coming out to Emerald Downs on Thursday, Thanksgiving. We do have a, a great turkey dinner at Quick Picks for seventeen fifty, Includes all them turkey Thanksgiving fixings, including dessert. So uh, thanks to our guests, Doug Moore and John Parker. And uh, we'll do this again in a few weeks, Vince. Sounds good. Happy holidays to all. Thanks for listening to Horse Racing Northwest.